Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There's no gatekeepers anymore. Isn't that amazing? When I started, there were gatekeepers. You had to, you had to get through, you know, to like, get, you had to get in the room. It was really hard to get in the room, to get in front of the people you wanted to be in front of, to book the roles or the projects or to get someone to read your script or, you know, whatever it was. Now, fuck that. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I hope you're doing well. I hope everything is going great for you this year and that it is on pace to be the best ever. And if it isn't, I trust that you'll stay positive and know in your heart that things will turn around and it will begin to become clear how great this year is going to be. I want to thank all of you so much for all your support. I know I say it over and over again, but I'm very grateful. Those of you who've been listening, subscribing, passing it on, I really appreciate it. And those new listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. Have fun, peruse the library of all these great guests and take in all the knowledge and the advice. It's truly incredible and it's all free. So valuable, so great. And if you can get past the sound of my voice, you're definitely going to have a great time listening. And today's show is no exception with my guest, Laura Cleary. This is part two and wow what a story a different kind of entertainment definitely an alternative path to financial success and creative success but before i get started i just want to let you know that you can reach me at barry cats on instagram or twitter or at barrycats.com and i'll be glad to get back to you as soon as i can just be patient And when I think about Laura Cleary, I want to share with you something really important. 
I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast and all of you have your own demons. And one of the most common things that most people deal with is having issues with weed, drugs, alcohol, and all sorts of different ingestible things that alter the state of who we are and our creative abilities and how we can get to the next level. And even if we are successful and we're doing that, we think we're invincible because we're already doing it. And Laura Cleary was the kind of person who was doing a lot of different things, but still booking jobs, still doing certain things that technically speaking, other people who were working much, 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 much harder than she was and putting many more hours in weren't booking. But there were a lot of things that she didn't book and it accumulated, accumulated, accumulated in her mind that she was playing a game where other people were in control and she wasn't in control. And so she decided to tell her agent, listen, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to create and shoot one video a day. and I'm going to be consistent for an entire year. And sure enough, the views started coming. Videos started going viral. Then came sponsorship, money, and most of all, the thing that came from the very first time that she made the very first video, creative freedom, total control. And it took off all in a very short time when she took the reins and took control. One other thing I should mention about Laura, always kind, always generous, always sweet, always smart, and always funny. And let me tell you, if you can put all those things together along with the work ethic she had and along with the risks that she took of giving up everything that was in the traditional form of entertainment and betting on herself in the non-traditional forms of entertainment and watching it pay off, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Laura Cleary has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. For our audience, in your mind, what's the definition of viral to you? How many views? So this was a strange case because this was the dumb model character that I had done. Ivy? Yeah, Ivy. And um, because I would see all these Instagram models um, 
you know, posting these like half naked photos of themselves with like inspirational quotes underneath. And I was like, but I can like see your pussy. Like, why are you, why are you posting? So I was like, I have to do a character. Are they allowed to show their hooch? No, I mean, you know, whatever they, you could see their ass. You could see most of their tits. They would just cover the nipple, you know, with like knowledge is power. But like you could see their ass, their entire ass. It was just funny to me, this new world. So I was like, all right, I'll do this dumb, vacant model who like says inspirational quotes, but like is just an idiot. So literally, I just um, was in my car and shot a video to camera saying like, hey, guys, it's me. Like, (laughs) so just wanted to remind you never to give up on your dreams. Like, even if you want to, just like, don't. (laughs) <laughs> that was it okay and how were you and dressed I, in the and video and i stare you know like i think cleavage or whatever and like i just stared into the camera for way too long okay and that was it that was the video it was just very awkward and she was trying to be inspirational but like also sexy and um it went viral but the reason i can't tell you exactly how many views is because people were taking the video and posting it on their site so it was everywhere so Tommy Lee is reposting it. George Lopez is reposting it with the caption, cocaine is one hell of a drug. And like literally like people are posting it everywhere thinking that this model is real. They're just stealing my video and posting it. But her. why wouldn't you have a Chiron that said Laura Cleary? You don't would. think I did that after? <laughs> I learned the hard way. I didn't watermark all my videos. I didn't know. I was just posting every day. I wasn't. I didn't think this. But was But you did go know viral. because you studied all these viral videos. But I people. didn't think that people that that because I hadn't had a viral video. I was like, this is just going to be another one of my videos with you know five hundred views. But you'd gone hundred and eighty-one yeah. videos over twenty-six weeks, and you yeah. never had a Chiron on anything. <sighs> Maybe not. Maybe not. And then I started doing, we call it watermarking. Like you just watermark. And let me tell you something. I was more than upset that I wasn't getting all the followers and the, you know, I was really honored that like people thought that that was real. I was like, wow, I did a really good job. They think she's real. (laughs) You know, I was like, this is a good character because they believe it. And I just want to point out to our audience, which is important, the work that it takes to do something like this. So you're talking about 181 or 182 days of videos, 26 weeks, okay, where it takes two hours average to do a video, to put it together, to come up with the concept, to write it, to shoot it, to post it. So we're talking about 360 hours of work before the first thing goes viral which is about nine work weeks nine 40 hour work weeks which is incredible and then you get your first viral video and you fuck up and you don't yeah. put a watermark on yeah. it and no one knows who you are so yeah. now you're thinking holy shit yeah i gotta do this again is yeah. it gonna take 181 yeah. more days exactly how long did it take exactly um man pro- i think after that Maybe like a couple months I had my next one. Was it another Ivy? Or no, was... it was Helen. Helen, of course, yeah, is this... a character where you distort your face to be very yeah. large with some effect. Yeah. And Helen, how would you describe Helen? She's um, she's a square-faced um, perv, um, just delinquent, like just a 
no ambition, lives in her mom's basement, steals food from Rite Aid, um, spends way too much time masturbating, and uh, just has no drive. Um, she's just this kind of like fuck up who has an obsession with her neighbor, Stephen, who's my husband. That's the character. So um, I came up with her because Stephen and I were sitting uh, just in our little meditation room and I was playing on Snapchat and I saw this square faced uh, filter and it was really making me laugh. I just liked the square. I liked how absurd it looked. And I started saying gross pickup lines to Steven. I just started saying disgusting pickup lines with this square face. And um, <laughs> I think I said the first thing I said to him, I said, hey, Steven, I said, um, my batteries are dead do you think i could borrow your dick <laughs> it was just like stupid shit right just stupid shit that you say you know i'm not thinking anything of it but i set it with this square face and he just looks and he turns and he sees the face and he what i said and he goes that's really disgusting laura he's british <laughs> by the way because that's really sick and he was very sincere with that he was just like that's really sick like he was just truly i mean he thought it was funny but he was also kind of grossed out a little bit at just the face and whatever. So I just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept saying things to him and flirting with him with his face on. And then I saved the video and I thought, I'll just post this as one of my posts. And it went super viral that I think people had not seen like a female being so sexually aggressive and disgusting. And, you know, especially online, there's this culture of like, you know, the guys like checking out the girls' asses and there's just this whole side chick humor and just degrading women. And, you know, I even came across that a lot when I started making videos, you collab with other creators and the, the roles that the guys would want you for would be just like fucking stupid. And it was just, they would just take advantage of uh, females and just, it was just very degrading. And um, what's the word? Dehumanizing? Yeah. So it was a lot of that. So I think they saw this female who was kind of degrading the man and it was just women loved it. All right. So you hit this point now where you're noticing something's happening. Yeah. But I think it's important for our audience to hear when you started these videos, what did you decide to do with the traditional acting? Did you decide to quit cold turkey and call your agent and say, guess what? I'm not going to be auditioning for any commercials anymore. I'm not going to be auditioning for any acting roles anymore. Yeah. Or do you kind of go and take a transition where there's an intersection and you're still taking auditions as you're doing this yeah. to a certain point, how do you decide to make the transition? In my head, it was very much like I was done. I don't think I had the conversation with my agents right away, but like in my head, I was done. I was transitioning from auditioning actor to content creator. Um, I think I started saying no. They would they would send me a script and all of a sudden I'd read it and go, you know what? I don't really like that script. I don't really like it. So I'm going to say no. Like, but who, but who are you to say no to something? I'm busy. I'm writing some stupid fucking sketch that I'm going to post online. So now before yeah. the model Ivy thing that went viral and Helen's one that went viral mm -hmm. in that six to eight months there, did you book a traditional acting job during that six to no. eight months? 
How many auditions did you go out on during very, that time? Very, very few. I think I went on one or two more, maybe three more pilots or film auditions, um, maybe one commercial. And I, again, did not book it. And that just reaffirmed that, nope, not for me. So after the first Helen that went viral, yeah, was that the last time you auditioned for anything? I believe so. Tell our audience, what's the first time where you actually got a check in the mail or one that was deposited in your account from a viral video yeah. and how the process works of getting paid yeah. and how you saw the business model and how you made it work for yourself. So what happens was I started acquiring a fan base uh, followers Followers are now a form of currency, right? So um, you you get you get yourself a hundred thousand followers. You can you can make some money on brand deals. You get yourself a million followers. You can make a lot more money on brand deals. You get yourself two million followers. Same thing. Your rate goes up. So um, I started getting brands reaching out to me saying, "Hey, is that right after Helen or another one?" Yeah, I would say it was. I was around after Helen. I started growing. How many did Helen get? Probably because um, by this point I was also posting on Facebook video and now I'm one of Facebook, uh, Facebook's biggest content creators because I was one of the first uh, people to start posting comedy videos on Facebook. So I just, timing is really essential and can help. YouTube, they were doing it a decade before. Facebook, I was one of the first. Everyone's like, what are you doing on Facebook? You can't even monetize videos. You're not even making any money. I said, yeah, but no one else is posting. And I'm getting followers and people are seeing who I am. And the money will come. And it did because now they're monetizing. All right. So the first call you get from brands is from who? Uh, this is from Happen. It's a dating. Or was it the vibrator? Uh, one of those things. And I did it because like I think I didn't realize at the time that like people turn those things down because then other brands see that you did like a fucking sex toy brand deal and then they don't want to work with you. But like, I don't understand what's appropriate and what's not. What's the dildo company? What do they want you to do? A commercial to shoot a, shoot a commercial. That, so that was one of the first. And how much do they want to pay you? Man, I think I, I think I made a thousand dollars on that. And then the other brand, there how much There was a dating app. I got $600. So maybe that came first to write, produce, and create, and shoot, and distribute a commercial. I got $600, and I was like, I'll take it. Like, I just didn't <laughs> realize that it was a shit deal. And approximately how many followers did you have at that point? Oh, my God. If you had to guess. 30,000, maybe. How long does it take you to get to 100,000, 500,000, and your million yeah, like in the first year, I have I think I broke a hundred thousand, and then from there on, once I started posting more Helen videos, and that just took off. That character took off, and my advice for any uh, new content creators is, if something is working, keep doing it. I know it sounds simple, but I have a lot of friends who posted a viral video, and they never re-examine the concept of why that went viral was it the character was it the concept something about it made millions of people uh interested study that find a way to grow it and evolve it 
So like with Helen, I created her mom, her sister, her grandma, her nieces. What does her life look like? I wrote a whole world around her. And now I'm shooting an animated series with BuzzFeed with her. It's like you just you got to grow and evolve these things. The cooking show character, I just shot a Facebook premium pilot. What's the name of that character? Pamela Pupkin. So Pamela is not Ivy's sister. Ivy is a different... uh... Ivy's like a full different thing. I pitched a show with Ivy. I went with KP Anderson. Yes. And it just, we went around, we pitched it. And for one reason or another, you know how it goes. It just, no one bought it. And, uh, but it's okay. Because, you know, there's other shows so after the first year what's the most views that any video got up to that point um well up to now i have one with nearly 90 million views 90 million views that's correct now this is what i don't understand about you and it shocks me because Uh i look through a lot of stuff Mm mm-hmm why don't you do more music with your husband <laughs> and funny musical right. pieces? Why don't you do more of that? I'm telling you, those are some of my biggest videos I wrote. Of course, because think about it for a second. Yeah. The biggest music videos in the world, Gangnam Style, yeah. Thrift Shop, yeah. they're all comedy totally. with music. Yeah. So why wouldn't you do more well, of that? It's, it's funny you say that because I have, and those have been my most viral but videos. I know, but if you look at the musical ones uh-huh. versus all the other ones, yeah. it's a fraction of what you've done, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I guess because I went through a phase where I was doing a lot of music and I felt like they were going a little less viral and they felt less special. So I think there's such a thing as like, pumping out all these songs and then they just feel like they don't feel like an event so like i i I like to say one a month maximum of the songs i'll do because or else it just feels it's too much you can do too much of one thing and then it's because i'm not like weird al like he's like that's what he does that is his thing like like you were saying before like i do it's, I'm almost like more like a Kristen Wig sort of in that, not comparing my talent by any means, but saying she, if she was in a different generation. So like she does all these different characters and different things. No, but that's what shocks me about yeah. you again. Yeah. What I'm just so fascinated by is sometimes you're the driving force of the comedy. Yeah. Sometimes you're the straight person and the comedy is around you. Sometimes you will do music. Sometimes yeah. you won't. You don't have a specific lane. <laughs> yeah. But still explain to our audience 600 and 1,000, that's not making money. How do no. you make money yeah. in what you're doing? And how did you end up making seven figures doing what you're doing? Yeah. So I, I um, cont- all I did was, well, first of all, um, I, I love what I do. I've always loved making people laugh and doing characters and writing. And so it was like, it didn't feel like work. And I think that's huge. I think you see a lot of people online now, not all of them, but some of them, they they see the lifestyle and they want it. So they do it, even though maybe they're not great at it or they don't love it. You know, if their intentions are skewed, then it comes across and then they don't last. So you have to just love what you do because there's a lot of doing it for free. So like no one understood why I was posting Facebook videos to Facebook all the time when I could be posting those same videos to YouTube and monetizing them. But I did it because I saw an avenue that was like 
uh, cleared and like I, I or not saturated. So I was like, okay, I want to take advantage of that and be one of their first creators rather than trying to compete with the millions of YouTube creators that are already there. Long story long, I just kept producing and shooting and posting and I was consistent. So the fans started coming in and more and more. And now it's like 3.6 million on one page on Facebook, 3.7 million on another page on Facebook and 1.4 million on uh, Instagram, 300,000 on YouTube. But um, so it's a lot of people, but, and with that comes the brand. So I started making money through brands and then I would do but not 600 or 1,000 now. So now, now now, that I'm in the millions, now they're saying we'll pay you $10,000 for this and then $20,000 and then $30,000 and then $40,000. And I think the most I've gotten on a brand deal is $50,000 for one, one brand deal. Does your audience get upset with you when you promote a brand within a video? It depends. No, I, I don't think so because there was one... I did an Instagram post of me holding a fidget spinner and people fucking lost their shit. They were so mad at me. They were like, you sold out. But I realized it was just this pretty picture of me holding a fidget spinner. If I had posted a funny video of me using a fidget spinner, they would have fucking loved it. It's because they don't, they want to see me being funny. So what I learned from that is always just be yourself. And, and when I'm writing these commercials, just just be funny and and they let you these brands and clients let you be be um authentic and so no the fans aren't mad i also don't promote things that i don't like hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why i'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office and 
everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. And I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the Air Doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. When's the first time in this crazy business that you thought about taking your own life? Ooh, whoa. And what was it that happened? Wow. Um, yeah, it was definitely, um, when, after I, I got sober, I used to deal with my anxiety and depression and I have alcoholism in my family. So I would absolutely numb my feelings through drugs and alcohol. So there were times towards the end where it was like, I don't care if I wake up like I would use and then I would take a bunch of sleeping pills and I was like, I know this could kill me like doing cocaine and then taking a bunch of sleeping pills. I know could stop my heart like, but I didn't care. So if you want to call that killing yourself or attempting, it was not, I was not actively trying, but I also knew that there was a possibility I wouldn't wake up in it. I just didn't care. Um, when was that? That was just towards the end of my drinking. It was actually right before I, I booked the movie role. And that's why I had no money. And that's why I was like asking my friends um, and people, you know, that I could, if I could stay with them when I shot that movie in New York with Jason Bateman, I was 30 days sober when I went there. How much a week were you spending on drugs? Um, just whatever I had. I, I wish I could give you more specifics, but... I just don't, it was like whatever I had, I would, I would spend on it at, by the very end. And, um, and it was Coke and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Were there other things or just weed, a... but like a cocaine, I was just very addicted to it. I thought it made me more productive. Um, I thought you just liked the smell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so I just, and I knew that it, it was a problem when even like I remember one time on the on disaster date, I had taken mushrooms the day before and I stayed up all night and then I had a table read that next day and I call, I was like, shit, I haven't slept and I'm seeing things that aren't there. 
And I call my friend who's also an alcoholic. And I was like, dude, I just ate a bunch of mushrooms and I have this table read. What do I do? And she's like, you'll be fine. Just go. <laughs> like, I was like, you're right. I will be, you know, and I fucking went to the table read on mushrooms. I remember I walk in, I sit down and I'm just looking around and, you know, the the walls are moving and I just realized like, oh, I'm not good. Like I should not be here at this table read right now. And I look around and I just said, I just was like, Lori, in my head, I said, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. They're going to know. And I just stand up and I was like, I got to go. I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go now. Bye. And I get up and I walk out the door and I was like, that went well. So I drive home and as I, and as I get home, the producers call me and say, Laura, and I was like, they know, like, I'm going to get fired. You know, I love this job, but, you know, hey, it is a disease. And I, I really struggled to, to stop. Um, and they and they called me and I was like, shit, I'm caught. And uh, they said, Laura. I said, yeah. They said, I know you're upset because you only got one date and you wanted more. We know you want to we know you want to do this other character and you can do it. OK, we've we we have another date booked for you. Um, we're sorry. Like they thought I was being a diva <laughs> and getting up and going because I didn't get enough screen time because, you know, in the show is like, oh, you're booked for three dates, you know, so you get to do three characters, but I only had one. So they called me, we know you want more than one. Like we're going to give you another date. Okay. We're sorry. And I was like, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so they had no idea. And then they were like, so will you come back now? And I was like, can't do that, though. Can't do that. <laughs> and they were like, please, can you come back? Like, we need you today. And I was like, I'll just I'll send you the my jokes or whatever. Like, I can't. And I, I didn't go back, but I got the two dates. Now, that is not that, that's saying like, you know, I would get away with it here and there. And but it was I, I could always separate. You know, I took my job very seriously. It was my passion, my everything. So it was like, I never drank on set. I never used on set. I would always wait. I would, uh, you know, and then it got to this point where like, I couldn't stop. I knew I had the table read, but I would still take the drugs because the obsession to use was so strong that it outweighed my love for what I did. And that's when it got really dangerous. So towards the end, I was like buying cocaine during the day, doing it by myself, trying to write these scripts manically. So what's the moment that happens where you say to yourself, Um, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm going to make a change. What happened? So I was very self-destructive towards the end. I was dating this German guy and I decided it would be a good idea. Did you ever date an American guy? No, not into them. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did actually. I did. But... Um, I went out to a bar, <laughs> oddly enough, I met an Irish guy. Okay. But at the time I was dating a, a German guy, but I met this Irish guy at a bar and I decided it was a good idea to drive to Mexico with this Irish guy <laughs> that I <laughs> met, uh, for one day. Okay. That this, this was a good idea. You met him one day and That's you said, right. let me drive to Mexico. That's right. That's right. So I think looking back, I, this, this German guy wanted to get married and have kids and I just was not this was my way of like I wanted to end the relationship with the German guy but I didn't know how to just sit down like an adult and have the conversation and say I'm not I I don't want to do this anymore he wanted to get married and have kids he was 17 years older than me I was not there 
So instead of confronting him, I met an Irish guy at a bar and drove to Tijuana with him. And he was a total asshole too. this Irish guy. We had nothing in common. It was terrible. It wasn't even like a fun road trip. Like he had terrible taste in music. Like we didn't get along. It was horrible. But anyway, we go. It turns out to be an asshole. The whole trip is crazy. I get back, of course. I call Rudolph, the German guy <laughs> from Mexico. And he picks up. Hello. I said, it's me. I'm in Tijuana. <laughs> this is so dramatic. He's like, come home, Laura. He's like, I will. I'm just going to get some guacamole first. <laughs> Whatever. It was like super dramatic. But so I get back home. He says, you got to go. You know, you, you, you know, I can't like I would be an I would be an idiot to just say because he would, would forgive me time and time again for like drinking. I had never left for an Irish guy before, but. You know, he was definitely an enabler and but also just trying to help me anyway, because I was in my addiction and, you know, but he said, you you need to leave for a bit. I need some space. (laughs) Rightfully so. So I fly back home to Chicago. I go meet my aunt, my godmother, um, who is like the only sober one in my family. There's a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics in my family. And my aunt is sober. And so we would always meet. She's my godmother. And we'd always meet at this Mexican restaurant <laughs> and uh, in town. And my aunt is, you know, she wears these big fur coats. And she has way too much Botox. And she's chain smoke cigarettes. And, you know, she's just a real character. And I sit down with her. And she looks at me. And she says, you look like shit. She said, your hair looks like a rat's nest. And that's the first thing she said to me. And I remember I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> something's wrong. I look like shit. Like that was it. That was my bottom. But she said, um, she said, I think you have a problem. And she goes, and if you don't take it seriously, you're going to die. And, uh, she knew it was like, she knew, I think one alcoholic to another, you just kind of know she could see in my eyes. I just wasn't there. I was being dangerously impulsive. I was driving to other countries with people I didn't know. I was, I had no self-control anymore. I was letting it take over what I really wanted to do um, in my life. And so she she was the one. She was the one to plant the seed and say, go get help. Go to AA, get some help. So I fly back to LA and I start going to meetings. And it was kind of like it took me, you know, probably a couple of years of going in and out of the rooms to really get it. But I got, I got sober when I was 24. Um, and I've been sober since. And how did years, you do it though? For seven years. Um, so I was going and identifying in the room with other people and yes, going to an AA meeting and admitting that, okay, I'm Laura and I'm an alcoholic, you know, did your aunt take you? mm -mm, No, because, uh, it was in LA. I flew back to LA to do it and she was in Chicago. So she just told me to go. She was the one who told me to go. You know, and I just really heard her. People were holding hands saying the serenity prayer was weird. I didn't like it. But you went back. But I went back. So in the seven years since then, tell our audience the closest moment you came to drinking. So there was the time that um, when I um, started, when I was about to start creating content and I was so filled with fear because it meant so much to me. 
And so if I failed, then I didn't knew I didn't want to live, but it was like, I had to do it. I had to walk through that fear, that crippling fear that it's crippling, isn't it? There's just this fear that can prevent you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it's so strong. And, and I just said, I'm either going to drink. I bought a bottle of vodka and I was either going to drink the bottle of vodka or, or post a video. And I decided to, to shoot a video and that could sound really trivial and stupid to people like, Oh really? Was it really one or the other? But for me it was, um, so that there was that. And then also, um, when I was one year sober, I am trying to think of what, Oh, when I was one year sober, I just stopped going to AA meetings. I stopped calling my sponsor. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's just someone who takes you through the 12 steps and, Basically, the 12 steps are just sort of a design that helps you to function and live life. It, it, to, I don't want to like go on too long about it, but essentially it helps you to get rid of your resentments, walk through your fears, um, forgive everything and everyone, be of service and help others. You know, someone in their alcoholism, they're selfish and self-centered to the extreme, um, lying, manipulating in AA, it teaches you to keep your side of the street clean. You're rigorously honest. You lead with love and tolerance. You have the ability and the desire to forgive everything and everyone because resentments are our number one offender. They're the first things that are take, that will take us out. So it really taught me a beautiful design for living. It's, it just works for me, for me, it did. Um, so but at one year, I like stopped calling my sponsor. I stopped going to meetings. Um, I stopped asking God who, I don't know what God is. I grew up atheist, you know, an atheist family. And, um, and then they, you know, they say God is just a, a power greater than yourself. It could be anything. It could be the sun. It could be the power of life itself. It could be the rooms of AA, anything. That's just what we call it. We call it God. But you pray to a power greater than yourself to keep you sober just for today. Okay, fine. I don't understand intellectually why that works, but fuck it. Fine, I'll do it. I don't want to die. I want to live and I want to make something of myself. And I could see this dangerously progressive disease killing me. And I chose, I decided I don't want to die. So it was as simple as that. Fine, I'll just do what you tell me to do. So I, for eight days, I stopped asking God to keep me sober. I stopped uh, going to meetings. I stopped calling my sponsor. And then on the ninth day, I, I think I had like writer's block. It was something stupid. It wasn't even like a terrible day. I was just creatively, um, stuck. And I found my old cocaine dealer on Facebook cause I had deleted all my numbers, but I found him and I reached out to him and he got back to me and I was like, all right, I'm going, I'm doing this. And I think Stephen was in London doing some films, so he was gone. And um, I go to his house, and I'm like sitting there outside, and he's like, I'll be home in five minutes. Um, so I was like, okay. So I'm sitting out there, I've got five minutes. And I thought, at that moment, I was like, okay, you know what? Just, what do they tell you to do, Laura? They tell you to call call a sponsor someone in the program and just tell them you want to use they just say whenever you have that desire you just call someone and you just say I feel like using right now I feel like numbing out I feel like 
So okay, fine, fuck it. I'll just I'll call I'll call my sponsor and I'll just tell her. I'm not I'm still gonna do it, but I'll tell her because they they've taught me to to at least tell someone. So so I'll I'll call her and I'll tell her. So I call her. And she doesn't pick up. I thought, ah, oh, that's a sign. I should definitely buy this cocaine because she didn't answer. Two minutes later, she calls me back. <laughs> hey, thought, fuck. She called me back. I pick up. I get a text from the cocaine dealer. I'm one minute away. <laughs> and I pick up. I said, hey. And she said, what's going on? I said, I, I want to do uh, drugs. I'm at my drug dealer's house and I'm about to buy some drugs. I just wanted to let you know. Also, it's my one year birthday sober. I mean, I would be one day to one year sober today. Sorry, it's my one year birthday, sober birthday. She said, Laura, why don't you just you can still get the cocaine okay but can you come meet me at this women's meeting it starts in half an hour and I'm, i want to give you a cake for your one-year birthday because we do cheesy shit like that and we sing happy birthday to each other and give each other fucking cakes for every year of sobriety and she said so can you just come and let me give you a cake and then you can go buy the cocaine and i was like but can i go come and i buy the cocaine though after and she's like yeah yeah I thought, okay, fine. And I just like started my car and just drove off. Text from the drug dealer, I'm here. Just didn't answer. Went, got a cake, and didn't go back. <laughs> I want to go way, way back. Just tell our audience briefly where you grew up, what your family was like, what kind of influence they had on you, and what was your first inspiration to get in this crazy fucked up business. Okay. Um, grew up 10 miles west of Chicago in a place called Downers Grove, Illinois. Pretty idyllic uh, suburb, just right outside Chicago. Working class family. Um, never had any money, but didn't know it. Because I always had enough to eat and just barely pay the mortgage. So we, I was a happy kid, I would say, growing up primarily. Um, my parents were very liberal, hippie types. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of structure or discipline. Um, my mom was just very loving and nurturing and just, she just loved us unconditionally. My, me and my two older sisters, dad, um, big alcoholic, still drinking to this day. I don't think he likes me very much. That's okay. And, uh, your mom drinking too? No, mom's not drinking mom. I think if you have just one good parent, like you're good, you know, you're blessed. If you have two, I almost don't trust you. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> but I, I do, but it's just it's such a blessing. Are they together do. or divorced? They are together, unfortunately. No, I say unfortunately as a joke, but like they are together. They met when they were in high school. My mom was 15, 16. They're basically like the real Greece. My mom was fucking Sandy, you know, straight A student, cheerleader, just real good. My dad was a greaser. He was just in a gang, just always getting into trouble, always getting arrested. She, he was the bad boy and they got together and that was it. Um, they're still together now, all these years later. Tell our audience something that happened in the house that you can talk about that was the most traumatic thing that had to do with alcohol and their relationship and the kids. Um, my dad is was so 
funny um, and charismatic and smart when he was sober. And then, but then when he was drinking, sometimes he would be goofy, but sometimes he would be terrifying. He's six foot four. He's big. He would throw things at the wall. He would scream. Um, so we were often like, my mom would, you know, lock us in one of the rooms and we were hiding in the closets, things like that. That would happen a lot. Also, um, one time he picked me up drunk and like almost drove into a house and killed us, you know, things like that. It just, it was just, um, unstable in that way, you know? And so going through that difficult, horrific kind of childhood, what was your inspiration of getting into this business and moving out to Los Angeles when you were 17 years old? Well, I think that's, that's, you know, because I didn't have these traditional parents that, you know, I could, I, I didn't go to school a lot of the times. Like I was, they just were, there was not a lot of discipline and structure and, but they would never discourage me whenever I said, cause I always was funny. I was always the class clown. I was always making people laugh from a very young age. So, and I was a terrible student. I took geometry three times. I wish that was a joke. Um, I barely graduated high school, but I would go take the train to second city and study improv and comedy writing, you know, when I was 15, like I knew what I wanted to do always. And my parents never discouraged me. They never said like, Oh, that's not going to happen. So, you know, yeah, it wasn't the perfect family, but they never discouraged me from doing what I wanted to do. So always in my head, I thought, oh, no, I'm definitely going to be a successful entertainer. Absolutely. That's going to happen. You know, and I was just focused. I didn't give a shit about anything else but doing that and uh, smoking weed. You know, it was it was that. And I could do both for a while. And then obviously, you know, um, you got to make changes. But so I was I was I was going to keep going at Second City and doing theater in Chicago and then make my way out to L.A. But um, these two girls that I went to high school with that were two years older, they came to my high school right before I graduated. And they said, Laura, um, we know you want to be an actress. Um, I'm interning at this production company in L.A. Do you want to come sleep on the couch and live with us for the summer? Like, we know you want to do this. And I was like, yeah. And basically, I never went home. And I was at 17. And I said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to Hollywood. They're like, okay, have fun. You know? I was like, what did your parents say? I'm like, have fun? Like, what would your parents say? But then my friends who, who's, uh, their parents discouraged them from doing that, they're working nine to fives. You know? And I had never had a plan B. And I'm against plan Bs. I think that, because uh, most people I know with plan Bs are doing their plan B. They're doing the safe option. But I never had that. Neither did Steven. We were going to make music and comedy and that's it. So there was never a giving up point. You just, you just keep going. You never give up. And you, you know, for me, yeah, there's no plan B. This is it. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, 
one-on-one coaching with me and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name. Oh. And I want you to tell me what comes to mind. Could be a word, could be a sentence, could be a little tiny story, anything. Okay. Jason Bateman. So, yeah, I did, did a movie with him. I was in the, the first scene of the movie. We were in bed together. Um, it wasn't a sex scene, but it was like the morning after. Played a model named Bunny. Um, <laughs> and we had, we had a lot of heart-to-hearts on set. He was really, really, um, really, really nice. But I remember thinking I felt bad for the director because he was fucking... He was like the director was young, up and coming director, and Jason Bateman's been in the business forever. And he, and the director would say, "Okay, I need you to do this," and Jason would be like, "Why? Why would you do that? No, no, no. The characters need to enter from over here. Don't you see that?" And I was like, "Oh shit!" Like it was just because I think Jason Jason Bateman's a great director, and I think he just knew what he wanted. Jolie Fisher. Jolie Fisher played my mother on a sitcom. Um, I, she was very fiery and, um, I was intimidated by her. Very intimidated by her. Jeffrey Tambor. So hysterical. That is one of those guys where he doesn't have to say anything and you're cracking up. Those guys have it real good. Zach Galifianakis is another one of those. They just stand there and you die. Jeffrey Tambor to me is that. I think he's so brilliant. And I could not stop laughing in our scene. I couldn't stop breaking. <laughs> he was so funny. I love him. Olivia Wilde. Just gorgeous. Um, she played Jason Bateman's girlfriend in the movie that we did. And um, she is just beautiful and just a star. Just a star. Moby. Moby did an episode of uh, our podcast. Steven and him have produced music together. He was one of my favorite guests. Um, I like him because he's so open and honest and uh, fucking tell, told me about his dominatrix, dominatrix experience in five minutes of the podcast. And that's what I love. Adam Goldberg. Um, nicest hipster in town. Um. He, I love doing scenes with him. I did a show on AMC called Trivial Pers- The Trivial Pursuits of Arthur Banks with him. And um, he, and then we did like a whole photo shoot between takes. I remember he loves his, his camera. Perez Hilton. I, when I did, I had Perez on uh, my podcast and I got so much hate and I got people saying, I'm unfollowing you. Um, I can't believe you. How dare you? 
I had no idea how much people hated Perez Hilton. Um, cause I guess I didn't really keep up with him in this beginning of his career and he made his career off kind of being mean spirited and making fun of celebrities. And I feel like I didn't really know the extent of it, but I do believe that people do change and Perez is not who he once was. He's a much nicer man. He's made amends for his wrongs. So, hey, man, I wanted to hear his story. I was interested in it. And he he is a lovely guy. You know, good people do bad things. Michael Patrick King. He, Michael gave me one of my first big roles uh, in a pilot that actually didn't get picked up, but he still created Two Broke Girls and Sex in the City as you mentioned earlier, and he was the one who um, cast me as my first role with the Ivy dumb model character. And um, so he like believed in me very early on and just, just as a lovely guy. Brad Garrett. Um, oh, so we did the co-star role, which turned into seven episodes with Brad until death. He played my dad. Um, and then he made some like creepy comment. He's like, in real life, we'd be dating. He's like, you're my on-screen daughter, but in real life, we'd be dating. And I'm thinking, no, we fucking wouldn't. But I Because he's not foreign. He's not from another country. <laughs> no, he, it was just like, whatever. One of those comments. Whatever. I would say in front of him, too. He probably didn't even remember. But then I remember I was taking some acting class um, and he came in and it was just super awkward. He was like the guest instructor for the day. And I feel like it was really awkward because he we hadn't talked since I was fired from that show. And uh, I could just tell that he was a little uncomfortable and there was no need like I got I, I was fine with it. The amount of daughters that they fired on that show, like how could I be hurt by that? And you fired J.B. Smoove with me. So like I wasn't really hurt, but I just remember it being an awkward experience. Your proudest moment in show business. It's the messages that I get from from people all over the world that are that are struggling with uh, depression, suicidal thoughts. I had one guy literally send me a voice memo saying, I was going to kill myself tonight. I have everything planned. This is a voice memo that he sent me. He goes, and I thought, let me just hold off. Let me just hold off for a second. And he said he somehow got onto Facebook and he started binge watching my videos and started laughing. And like, he goes, I believe that you're the reason that I'm still here. It was like that. And, and that, that was like, wow. But it was that kind of stuff. And just, just, just knowing that I can make someone laugh and, uh, and help them get through that depression or anxiety or whatever it is um is so huge and it just makes it it's really not about it's really not about me at all it's about serving it's about using your gift to serve as many people as you possibly can and whenever I stay in that mindset of like waking up in the morning and saying what can I give today rather than what can I get I feel happy I feel creatively fulfilled and full when I'm thinking about me and like, oh, money coming in or followers or views or the ego, that's a horrible place to be. But when I think about like, let me make you guys laugh. And then when I get messages like that, it's just, that's it. That's my proudest moment for sure. 
your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level? I think, all right, it, it was probably just a combination of all the different things that I hadn't booked and, oh, okay. Um, when I had a literary agent at one point, I started writing a movie and I sent it to them. They were like, this is one of the funniest things we've ever read. We love it. And then I just, the fear of finishing it, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't finish it. So letting fear win is my, was my, is probably my biggest disappointment. Like not finishing projects, which I would do mostly pre sobriety. Cause I would get so scared. Um, and then I would, you know, self-destruct. So it was, it was that terrible cycle. Um, but. And how were you able to turn that cycle around? I was able to turn the cycle around by confronting my fear, walking through it and, and saying goodbye to my self-destructive ways. Yeah. And just, you know, making a conscious effort to just be a good person and, you know, that's it. It's like if you do something wrong, you make amends. You make your daily gratitude list. You know, visualize, really, truly get into gratitude every day. And then um, uh, visualize what, what you want to achieve. Um, ask yourself, who have you helped today? That Stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, biggest disappointment, I would say not that, not finishing that script. Also, um, not not booking uh, my roles, and then how I used it was, I walked through fear, and I started writing my own content and producing my own content. And I stopped waiting for people to tell me that I could be funny and to make shit, and I just started making shit, and I did it consistently, and that's why I, you know, I'm here. I'm where I'm at. Last question, what advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small town, possibly self-destructive parents in a bad environment, and trying to figure out how to navigate through all that and follow your dreams and have the kind of amazing alternative career, yeah. non-traditional career that you have? Yeah, it's just it's just being aware of the time we're living in, and I think... You know, when I was stuck in my old ways and still wanting to book this show, I was, wasn't paying attention to social media and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that we have global distribution at our fingertips. We, it is the best time in the world to be a creator, to be um, of any sort, really, and to grow your business in any, in any field, really. Um, as an artist especially, oh my God. It's like we... It's so powerful. You can have an idea, put it online, and if you're consistent and your idea is good enough, um, then, then you will be successful. There's just, there's no gatekeepers anymore. Isn't that amazing? When I started, there were gatekeepers. You had to, you had to get through, you know, to like, get, you had to get in the room. It was really hard to get in the room, to get in front of the people you wanted to be in front of, to book the roles or the projects or to get someone to read your script or, you know, whatever it was. Now, fuck that. You can just write a script now and you can shoot it. Like, I can make a movie tomorrow. It's not going to look great, but I can fucking make it and put it online. And if it's good enough, people will see it. People will see it. 
So it is just the best time in the world to be a creative, to be an artist. And I would say, um, walk through fear as fast as you can. You know, it's, it can rob you of, you know, so many potentially productive years of your life. And I, I'm just so lucky I got, um, sober when I did know that if you have, if you have any sort of addiction problem, like there is a solution, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to suffer. You really don't. That's why I'm so open about it because people, they need to know that you can have fun sober too. Yeah. But, um, I would say just walk through your fear, find what you love and find a way to do it every day. Laura Cleary. This has been an extraordinary day. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me in your house and doing this podcast. You're so inspirational. I love what you do, and I'm so, so proud of you. Thank you, Barry. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Ray Ray McGee, May 30th, 2017. Heading reads, Huggable, Lovable, Five Stars. And the comment reads, The best interviewer in podcasting actually listens instead of waiting to talk. Wow, really humbling. Thank you, Ray Ray McGee. I appreciate that. That means a lot. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Josh Wolf. The whole motto that I started in 1999 with that very first one man show. I would wake up every morning with those three kids. And I was just like, you got to keep your legs moving because if you keep your legs moving, look at the world in this business is going to push you. If you're standing still, it's going to push you backwards. If your legs are constantly moving, 
you, you may not move forward some days, but nobody's going to push you backwards. And so those five things a day kept my legs moving. And that's what I would say. You can't stand still. You got to keep your legs moving. Don't, there, people are going to push back. Don't let them push you backwards. You may stay still for a year, but at least you're not backwards. So keep your legs moving. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, so it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.